In the name of the one God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So when I was in university, I did a couple of goofy videos with some friends to talk about the strange dynamics that can occur in the framework of small group discipleships. And we talked about the weird questions that can sometimes arise in Christian settings. So my friends and I came up with the most ridiculous question of which we could think to use for our video. We decided upon, if Jesus were a box of cereal, what kind of cereal would he be? I remember thinking that Wheaties would be a great response. Why? Because it reflects Christ's strength. One person may have mentioned checks because they are holy, and someone else mentioned cornflakes because they are unleavened. And I actually stopped and looked it up online. I'm like, wait, are cornflakes really unleavened? And there are some people who argue that you can eat cornflakes during the Feast of Unleavened Bread and all these types of things. So maybe, maybe not. I don't think that's what Kellogg had in mind when he made cornflakes, though. <laughs> but that's another story for another day. Well, one person in our group decided to ad-lib just a bit. And in leaving the script, she made a statement that caused me to think just a little harder than I did at that time. She was aiming to be all highbrow and deeply theological and responded that she resisted the idea of Jesus being a box of cereal because we desperately needed to take Jesus out of the box. While my friend was trying to be funny, she highlighted something that many of us in the church, if we're not careful, attempt to do on a consistent basis, and that's put Jesus into a box. This morning, early in our liturgy, we recognized God as the Lord of all power and might, the author and giver of all good things. Despite this, many of us have a desire to control the one who controls all things. I think that sometimes we view God as our personal Burger King. The chain has a slogan that revolves around having things your way. I remember in the early 90s, their slogan was, your way, right away. And when we take a look at our gospel lesson, we find two stories highlighting that God will sometimes demonstrate his power in ways that go outside of the realm of personal and cultural boundaries that we want to place on the move of the Spirit. In other words, when we deal with God, we don't always get things our way right away. While the lesson reveals people who attempt to put God in a box, we also find an appropriate response to the work of God in people's lives. Some people try to confine Jesus to the box that they know. And I want to encourage you not to attempt to restrict the power of God to that to which you are accustomed. God is infinite, and we are finite beings. And you will spend an eternity discovering new things about the greatness of the power and might of the Lord. When the disciples called upon Jesus to help them when they were caught in the midst of a storm, he did. But he far exceeded their expectations, dare I say, the limitations they had on how he would come to their aid. 
Now, when we attempt to confine Jesus to the familiar, the big stigma is that people will attempt to confine Jesus to the box of not doing too much. We might acknowledge that the power of God is at work in the Eucharistic celebration, making the bread and wine of which we are going to partake the spiritual food of Christ's body and blood. We might even acknowledge the activity of the Spirit and God's power at work through the preaching of the Word. But that's not the only way by which God moves. Sometimes, as we have witnessed here, God exercises his power in the spontaneous. Sometimes there is a word of encouragement for the body demonstrated through tongues to be accompanied by an interpretation, prophecy, or some other means. At other times, people receive gifts of healing. Amid all that God does, he sometimes demonstrates his power in ways with which you are unfamiliar and sometimes, dare I say, even uncomfortable. The disciples woke Jesus up and asked him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? I can only think that at the moment, the disciples are thinking not about the other boats that are around them on the water. They are concerned about one boat, the boat that they're in that's filling up with water. And they call out to Jesus. And when Jesus does what he does, stops the storm, they respond with great fear in the midst of Jesus bringing great calm. Their witness to the power of God leaves them asking, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now at the other end of the spectrum from those who are not accustomed to seeing the power of God in various ways are those who have experienced the power of God in other ways and attempt to place him in the box of their experience. This equates to the understanding that if God is not moving in a particular way at a particular time in a particular fashion, that the power of God is not being manifested. I've been in situations where I've heard people say that if someone is not speaking in tongues or if someone is not prophesying or someone is not having a highly demonstrative outward manifestation of God's power, then someone is violating Paul's instructions not to quench the spirit. These individuals often overlook the fact that God might be moving mightily and doing a much deeper work in someone who is silently sitting and exhibiting no visible outward manifestation than he is in someone who is expressive about what God is doing in their life. We cannot. I'll say as Christians, we must not judge anyone's spirituality or the manifestation of God's power in their life simply based upon outward expression. As we move into the next part of the text, we find that other people attempt to confine Jesus to the box of that which they think is best. But you know, Jesus' encounter with the demonized man in the country of the Gerasenes was not his first rodeo in dealing with unclean spirits. In Mark chapter 1 and in Mark chapter 3, we find Jesus exercising his power over unclean spirits, casting out demons and healing the sick. But with this episode, we find the power of God exercised and the people don't like it. They ask Jesus to leave. Imagine telling God, the God of all creation, 
We don't want you, your power, or your presence in our midst. Go away. But Jesus models something for us to take to heart regarding the manifestation of God's power. At the end of today's service, the deacon will proclaim, let us go forth into the world rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. There's nothing wrong with seeing God's power and presence manifested within the congregation during a service. But more so than that, we are to leave this place where we have been nourished by Christ and we are to go into the world in the power of the Spirit. Jesus went over to the other side. He crossed into a region that was predominantly Gentile. He stepped beyond the territory of people who would confess to know and worship God into a region where people would potentially worship no God or multiple gods. Jesus models here for us what it means to go beyond the beautiful walls within which we worship into the world, into a world that stands in opposition to the gospel. In Mark chapter 1, we see the power of God at work when Jesus is casting out demons, but he's in the synagogue. In Mark 3, he seems to be outside the synagogue, but in a primarily Jewish region. He heals many. He casts out evil spirits. Everything's good. He's still amongst his people. But here in Mark 5, Jesus has now moved beyond the borders of that which would be culturally comfortable for most people. He has physically done what he has already divinely done in his incarnation. He has stepped into the world of the sinner. He stepped into the world of the destitute. He has stepped into the world of the one who makes no claim to know the one true God. So how are we, collectively and individually, welcoming the ministry of God's power and presence into our lives beyond our Sunday morning worship? How are we doing this beyond our Sunday school classes and our small groups, beyond our circle of Christian friends and associates who are outside the borders of our congregation? How are God's power and presence welcomed in our ministry in the world? As you look at Jesus' ministry in the region of the Gerasenes, are you more like Jesus or are you more like the people of the region who want him to go away? To go away? Now, I'm not trying to say who you are like. That is between you and the Holy Spirit. But before you answer, I want to challenge you with a few more questions. In the story of David and Goliath, are you more like David and the Israelites or Goliath and the Philistines? In the story of the Exodus, are you more like the Israelites or the Egyptians? In the stories of the encounters with the members of the Sanhedrin, are you more like Jesus and his disciples? Or are you more like the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Believe it or not, sometimes you might identify with the Philistines more than the Israelites. Sometimes you might identify with the Egyptians more than the Israelites. Sometimes you might identify with the Pharisees and Sadducees more than Jesus and his disciples. We have to recognize that as we 
look at the power and presence of God being manifested amongst various peoples that Jesus disrupts the systems of this world. He disrupts the systems that we have in place in our lives. He disrupted the system for these people in the Decapolis where the garrisons were located. They used to be able to bind this man. The text tells us this. But now they couldn't. They couldn't even bind this man with chains any longer. So the people got used to having a demonized man run around naked amongst the tombs, cutting himself with rocks. And life went on. Let me be clear about something. There is nothing normal about having a demonized man running around naked amongst tombs, cutting himself with rocks. And so somehow these people just accepted this as normal. And somehow, after crossing over to the other side, Jesus comes along the way, bringing the power of God into the midst of their normal situation. And he disrupts their normal with his power and presence to bring deliverance to someone in need. Now, some people might say, yes, the power of God was in that location and God delivered that man. But do you say that when the manifestation of God's power and might costs you something? While some might say, well, the man was delivered, praise the Lord. Are you saying that if you just lost 2,000 pigs? While I do believe that this is the first biblically recorded case of deviled ham in all of Scripture, (laughs) the herdsmen are out of their jobs. The owners are out of their pigs. And the people's economy has been impacted by Jesus and his exercise of power over the forces of evil. Are you willing to give up some time or some money or other resources for the sake of God's power and presence at work around you? Or... When the power of God begins to cost you something, are you going to ask the Lord to take his power and go elsewhere? No matter the box into which you try to put God, we all need to have the response of the man who Jesus delivered from the demons. He didn't have a box in which to put God. He found himself with some clothes on, finally, and in his right mind, finally. Because of his experience with the power and might of Jesus, he was willing to leave everything that he knew behind in order to be with him. And though he asked, Jesus had other ideas in mind. Everyone in this area knew who this man was. They knew the man who was running around naked. They knew the man who was living amongst the tombs. They knew the man who was cutting himself with rocks. They knew the man with demons. They knew the man who could not be bound by chains. They knew who this man was. And Jesus sent this man as a living testimony to the people around him. He simply bore witness to the power of God in his life. 
And we, we should do the same. So as we prepare to come in worship, to continue in worship and come to the table of the Lord, may we refuse to attempt to put God in a box. May we acknowledge him as the God of power and might. As we walk through the remainder of this Holy Eucharist, I want you to consider the mentions of God's power as we worship. I want you to consider all the things that you will hear that are demonstrations of God's power to do that which we cannot do for ourselves. I want you to consider the magnitude of who we describe God to be, recognizing him for his power and might at work in our lives today. And as we recognize him, I earnestly believe that we will be more open to experiencing his power in ways we had not considered it before. Let it be so. Amen.